Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Sharon James. Sharon is on the show talking about what happens when we do not like our stories. Undoubtedly, there are some good chapters in our stories and other chapters that we wish we could tear out. Sharon is familiar with both, and on today's podcast, she is sharing hard-fought wisdom on how God uses every story for good. Join us to discover how what we consider the worst chapters of our life can become some of our favorite chapters. Hello, Sharon. Welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. So you have just released your 25th book titled When You Don't Like Your Story. So first of all, I want to congratulate you. That is a lot of stories that you've shared over the years. Thank you. It is. It has been a lot. It's been good. It's been really good. It's been a, it's been a fun ride. So for the sake of today's conversation, I'd love to hear your backstory. So for those that aren't familiar with you, what is the part or parts of your story that you didn't like or don't like? Oh my goodness. There are so many that I could share with you, but why don't we just go back to the beginning? Um, I, when I was um, growing up as a little girl, we lived in a really nice neighborhood. My dad had a good job. We had a, a ranch style house with, um, we just like a typical American family, two kids, you know, I had an older brother and a collie dog named now you're too young to, to probably guess this, but guess what the dog's name was collie dog. Oh, I do know. I do know. I'm not too young, but my brain is not working yet. Go back in the archives. It was Lassie. Yes, I did know. I did. I promise. Yeah. Okay. It was a boy dog, but hey, what did I know? Uh, So yeah, we had a collie dog named Lassie and um, we went to church on Sundays and just looked like a little American family. But what people didn't know that was there, um, there was a terrible secret behind the door of that house. And my father drank a lot and he drank when he drank he drank heavily and he would get very violent so in my home i grew up from my earliest remembrance i'm seeing my parents fight both verbally and physically i i remember my parents yelling and screaming at each other at night and and you know what i i I heard these words and, and some of them i didn't even know what they meant but i knew how they made me feel on the inside and my parent my dad would hit my mom she'd wake up the next day i'd wake up with she would have bruises on her or cuts and, and, um, and she was a very bitter, angry woman. And, you know, she would hit him back and I'd wake up in the morning sometimes with broken furniture and definitely cuts and bruises. And, um, I remember my dad sitting at the kitchen table in the mornings crying, saying how sorry he was and that it would never happen again, but it did happen again. And it was very cyclical in my house. And because my parents had so many struggles, uh, I don't think they even realized what all that violence was doing to their children. And I remember constantly feeling like, like I was not enough, like I I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't good enough, you know. And one of my books is titled Enough, Silencing the Lies That Steal Your Confidence. That's one of my favorites, yeah. And out of, um, you know, growing up in, in that situation. So that was a very difficult chapter in my life. But oh, listen, God turned that around in such an amazing way. And that difficult chapter has become one of my greatest victories. Um, I don't think we have enough bandwidth to tell you the whole story this morning. But but let me just tell you what happened. Um, when I was a teenager, actually, I was 12 years old. My best friend lived on the next block. And I loved being at their home because they uh, there was so much love there. Talking about being a love offering. Mrs. Henderson was a love offering to me. 
and she began to I mean, I just love a man. I told her what was going on and I think she probably figured it out. But um, she told me about Jesus and even in my little girl heart, even though I was terrified of my father, even when he was not drunk, um, he, he rarely touched me. He was very aloof. Um, but I had a longing that every little girl has, and that was to have a daddy who loved me. And I loved how Mr. Henderson loved on his daughters. And she began to tell me about a heavenly father who loved me so much that he gave his son Jesus for me so that I could have eternal life. And I just loved being at their home because it was so full of love. Well, eventually I started spending Saturday nights with them a lot. And that meant that I would go to church with them on Sunday. Now, I have to tell you this. I thought Mrs. Henderson was a little bit strange because, first of all, she was so happy. And second of all, she talked about Jesus like she knew him personally. And sometimes I would hear her during the day talking to him. And I thought, that is so bizarre <laughs> because the church I went to, nobody talked about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was more of a, a religion. And I don't think I could have verbalized this in my 12-year-old heart. But now I know that I knew there was something very different between having a religion in your life like we did and having a relationship with Jesus that they did. So I started going to church with them and she started a Bible study in the neighborhood for, for kids our age. And when I was 14, she sat me down one night and asked me if I was ready to accept Jesus as my savior. And, and I did. And he did change my life. But Rachel, the problem was I had to go back home. I always had to go back home into that violent environment. But we now, we were praying for my family. My little group of 14-year-old friends were praying for my family and my, our little Bible study. And um, she had some friends praying. And three years after I came to Christ, I had an opportunity to go out of the country to study abroad for the summer. And um, I was really terrified to go because at that point in my life, I was breaking up the fights. And so I thought, who's going to break them up? Mm. And my little group of friends were now 17. We prayed and they said, we feel like you should go. Don't you love that? We, <laughs> listen, we marched around my house, praying the blood of Jesus over my house before we left. We were a sight to behold. But the first night I left and I was going to be gone for three months, my dad started a fight. I wasn't there. My mom went down to Mrs. Henderson's house and um, my mom gave her life to Jesus that night. Oh. So, um, you know, sometimes we can be in the way so much that God can't do what he needs to do. And I, I tell parents that a lot, you know, don't try to fix everything for your kids. They've got to struggle. And um, here, it, what I learned was I was trying to fix everything as as a, a child, trying to fix my parents. And I always joked that he had to get me out of the country so he could deal with my mom uh, without <laughs> my help. So, but when my mom came home, um, she and listen, I would never tell a woman to stay with a man who's abusing her. Hear me on that big exclamation mark. She needs to be safe and in a safe place. I would never recommend that. But after she became a Christian, she told my dad she was going to forgive him for everything he'd done. And listen, there was a lot. There were affairs. There was pornography. I mean, the list was long. And my dad never drank again after that summer, which is pretty much a miracle in itself. But it is a miracle in itself, not pretty much. But the thing is, he said, I'll go to church with you. And we were going now to this Bible teaching church. But he said, I could never become a Christian because there's too many things I've done in my life. God could never forgive me. And of course, you know, I told him, you know, daddy, none of us could be good enough. If we could be good enough, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die for us in the first place. But he couldn't understand that kind of grace. That was just way beyond him. And he knew what he had done. But three years after my mom came to Christ, that's six years after me, 
my dad was being sued in our um, small town for breaking a restrictive covenant contract. And he was about to have a nervous breakdown. Um, and I'm going to tell you this really fast and buckle your seatbelt. But my mom had her own business. She had a little craft shop. And um, she had gone from North Carolina, where we lived, to Pennsylvania um, to a meeting. So my dad was seriously about to lose it. He got in his car and drove to Pennsylvania. He drove, couldn't find my mom at her meeting, stopped off at a church, and he said, I need somebody to pray for me. He knew that much. But the secretary said, the priest isn't here. But let me draw you a little map of a man I know, he's a Baptist pastor who's out in the woods building his church right now as we speak. She draws a little map on a scratch piece of paper. My dad gets back in his car, follows this little map, and finds this man out in the woods building his church with, I say, a hammer in his hand and Jesus in his heart. And he said, I need you to pray for me. And um, the man said, well, you know, sit down, tell me what, what's going on. And, and, and probably, Rachel, for the first time, my dad told this man, um, everything he had done. And then that man put his arm around my dad and he said, now, Alan, let me tell you what I have done. Mm -hmm. Now, the way my dad explained it, he said, Sharon, everything I had done in my life, this man had done too. And I knew that if God could forgive him and he could be a preacher, then he could forgive me. So my dad accepted Christ that day in the woods of Pennsylvania with a man I will never know. So what an awesome story. But let me go back. Suppose that man that my dad talked with did not share his story. So think about this. My father had been going to church for three years with us. He, see, he did not see anyone who was like him. He didn't see anyone who had done the things that he had done. Do you think they were there? Oh, yeah. I think they were there. Right. Yeah. Definitely there. But those people were not sharing their story. They weren't telling their story. They were hiding their story. And so my dad couldn't relate to them. But then God had to take him hundreds of miles away to finally find a man who was not ashamed to tell his story. He had gone through the healing steps of, of redemption, and, and we're going to talk about those steps in a minute. But he'd gone through that, and now he was telling his story to my dad. And, and listen, Rachel, that is how your worst chapters become your greatest victories, because that man shared his worst chapters. And they had become his greatest victories. And now he was sharing that love of what God had done for him with my dad. And look what happened. Well, and then now you're sharing the story to then help us. And I think what's something that's interesting, because as I think about us being love offerings and how, how God uses us. And so he used the woman, Mrs. Henderson, right? That was your neighbor. So that was right next door. But then he also used, because of her obedience, and then he also used this man in Pennsylvania. And, and I just think about those, every interaction can be the change. They can't, and sometimes we don't even realize, I, I wonder if that man in Pennsylvania even knows how it changed the trajectory of your father and your family's life. It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's beautiful yeah. to think about that. I'm sure he doesn't. And that, and we need to remember that as we consider ourselves love offerings that we may never know, may never know until we get to heaven of the impact that our love for others will have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so encouraging to me. And so I find it interesting that, you know, you've written 24 books and now is the time that you thought it was like, it's time for this specific book. Why, why is that? Well, here's the thing, Rachel, I started writing this book in 2019, not knowing that 2020 was going to happen. 
Mm. But guess who did know? <laughs> right. God knew. God mm -hmm. knew this was going to happen. So as I was working on this book in 2019, um, and now looking back, because, you know, hindsight is 2020, as we used to say. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, we're going to be a little hesitant saying that from now on, I think. But, mm -hmm. but I think that uh, everyone right now, I don't know anybody who doesn't feel a sense of being drained somewhat yeah. and and being tired on the inside. I mean, we're we're have less activity in our lives, but we're we're more tired than ever. And I think it's just a tiredness on the inside. And I've often heard that when you drain the lake, you see what's at the bottom. And I think that during this year of 2020 and beyond, now that we're calling it, people are drained. They're seeing what's at the bottom of the pond and they are not liking their story. They aren't liking their story of 2020, but it's also making them think about other stories. And people are stuck in those bad chapters. And as I've been in ministry with women for over 25 years, um, that has been a common theme that people get stuck in bad stories. They get stuck in unforgiveness. They get stuck in that pain place where someone's hurt them. They get stuck in the shame place where they have made mistakes in their own lives and they can't move forward. So I think that that why now for this book is that that God impressed this message on my heart. And the, I don't know. I don't know the exact why now, except to say God impressed it on my heart now, not knowing what was coming. But I, I really believe that that he knew this was coming and that people need this message right now. They don't like the story that they're living right now. And it's bringing up memories of other stories in their past that they don't like as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you are encouraging all of us to say God is still writing that story and he's going to use it for victory. But I think that our, our natural inclination when bad things happen is to ask why? I mean, that's, that's what I, what's I do. What, what, but I, how do you think that we move from asking why something has happened to God how do you want to use this? And better yet, how do how do you want to use this for our good? You know, it's Romans eight twenty eight that we like to, yes, to say. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. Romans eight twenty eight. Um, and in case you don't know the verse, this is God uses all things for good who for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. But I tell you what, when you when like when I got went through years of infertility and then lost a child, I would not have called that good. Yeah. I mean, actually, I was just, I was angry at God. I was not going to call that good. I went to bed, pulled the covers up over my head and said, I will talk to you later, maybe. Like I was going <laughs> to hurt his feelings. Right. Uh, and that was a big, you know, why me moment for me. Why did you allow this to happen to me? And I think we've all had some why me moments in our lives. So how did I go from why me to finally saying what now? Okay, this is my story. What do I need to do now? And, you know, and it took some grieving and it, I went through all the steps, steps of grieving that we read about in psychology. And if you know the steps of grieving, the last step is acceptance, uh, accepting that this is your story. But listen, Rachel, if you know Jesus, there is another step. And that step is resurrection. We don't just accept our stories and say, well, it is what it is, because it rarely is what we think it is anyway. Mm. But we move past that and there's resurrection. Well, let me give you some steps that I think that we need to go through in order to take what has happened to us or through us and then use it for change the ending of that story, basically. 
Um, and that's the Romans 8.28 of all. When you see the Romans 8.28 of a difficult situation, that does change the ending to the story. But how in the world do you get there, especially if you've been stuck in a bad chapter for so long? Well, the first thing is we need to decide that we want to get well, that we want a different story. Now, that might seem kind of strange, like, of course we want a different story. Of course we want to be well, but not everyone does. Remember when Jesus um, went to the well, uh, not to the well, he went to the, the pool and the people were around the well. I keep calling it a well, but around the pool, waiting for the angels to stir the water and the first one in would be healed. So there's a man that's been there for 38 years and Jesus walks up to that man and he asks him the strangest question. He says, do you want to get well? And we would think, well, of course he wants to get well. He's been lying by this pool, this pool for 38 years, but you know, maybe he doesn't. And I think sometimes we say we do, but maybe we don't. Because when we are living stuck in a situation and we've got pain in our lives that someone has hurt us, we kind of put that on a shelf and it's almost like a little trophy or it's like a little idol that we can worship and we dust it off every now and then. Like, this is why I am the way I am. And we kind of keep that that in, in sight for us. But Jesus comes to us and says, do you want to get well? And we have to answer the question because it is a lot more comfortable to live in the certainty of that hurt than to live in the uncertainty of what it would be like to be well. Because you see, that man was going to have to make some life changes. He'd been doing this for 38 years. His life was going to be radically different. He didn't know what to expect. He knew what to expect sitting lame by that, that pool. And with us, when we make a decision to get well, we don't know what life's going to be like when we're no longer the victim. When we, you know, it's okay to go back and look at what happened to you to to to, to um, understand why you are the way you are. But it is not an excuse to stay that way. It is not an excuse to stay that way. And I call that um, picking at emotional scabs. And um, that's mm-hmm. kind of a um, a gross analogy, but <laughs> I want sense. it to be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we pick at these emotional scabs of what happened to us over and over. And as long as you keep reviewing that over and over in your mind and carrying that burden of hate around with you, then it's not going to heal. So first step is to decide I want to get well and I want a different story. The second step is then to forgive those people who have hurt you. Now, listen, our whole entire Christian faith is based on the concept of forgiveness and yet that is one of the most difficult things that we do as christians i remember sitting at a football game um when i was well it was several years ago and listen i am not a sports fan i don't even know who played in the super bowl and we had people over to watch it um but um i was sitting on the end of a row and and people were going up and down the the stands and People kept tripping over this step right beside me. They, I mean, not any other step, but the step right beside me. And honestly, I got tickled. They didn't get hurt. They might <laughs> spill a drink on them or something. But at halftime, I got up and measured. And that step was about a quarter inch or a half inch taller than the other steps. So it made them trip. And I think that that's forgiveness in our lives, that that is a higher step than we will take in some of the other disciplines, the Christian disciplines, and we trip on it. Now, let's talk about why it's hard. Let me tell you what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not saying that what the person did to you doesn't matter. It's not saying that it wasn't wrong. What forgiveness means, actually, if you go back and look in the Greek, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the word is atheomy, 
in the Greek, and it means to cut someone loose, to let someone go free. So if you're not forgiving someone, think of the opposite. You're strapping that person on your back. So whoever it is that you're not forgiving, you're strapping that person on your back. And let me tell you something, Rachel, the people that we don't forgive, they usually don't even know about it. And I can assure you, they don't care. So the only person it hurts is ourselves when we strap that burden on our backs and we carry it around. Now, when I was studying it and I was trying in my southernness to learn how to say a fee of me, I kept saying off of me. Oh. <laughs> and right. then I thought, you know what? That's exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. It's getting it off of me. It's releasing that burden. And as long as we continue to strap that burden on our backs and carry it around that bitterness that we have toward what toward other people because of what they've done to us, we will never have a different story. That's a hard, that's a hard spill to swallow sometimes, but we will never have a, a, a different story if we carry that bitterness and that anger around. So what do we do? We cut them loose and then we give that bitterness to God and we say, okay, God, you deal with it. You deal with it. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I'm letting that person go free. You know, it also has a connotation of um, forgiveness is forgiving a debt. So we feel like they have to pay us back which they will not pay us back. That is not going to happen. And we have to absorb that debt ourselves. So we give that anger to God, let him deal with it. And let me tell you two sentences. I did not write these sentences, but I think they're fabulous. I don't know who, who did. One is setting the, that forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and then realizing that the prisoner was you. Oh, that is good. And then the other sentence is, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die mm -hmm. and those are such poignant statements that paint a picture so number one we've got to decide i want a better story i want a different story number two we've got to forgive those people who have hurt us i call that coming out of the pain place and then number three is coming out of the shame place because honestly rachel sometimes the person that we have the hardest time forgiving is ourselves and I, I see that everywhere I go. Now, some people say, well, that's not really scriptural. It's more like I'm, I'm accepting God's forgiveness. But listen, people say, I can't forgive myself. So let's meet them where they are. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I meet people every day, people, women who've had abortions, they've had affairs, they were sexually promiscuous, you know, as a teenager, and they're carrying that shame around with them. And they'll, they'll say, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. Now, who do you think does not want us to forgive ourselves? Mm -hmm. That is the devil himself. And he's going to keep throwing that bait out you and, and reminding you of what you did and how you did it. And he's going to keep doing that. And let me tell you why. As long as we are living in shame, we can never become a love offering as far as offering our stories to help someone else. It tells us in Revelation 12, it says, they overcame him, talking about the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and watch the rest, the word yeah. of their yeah. testimony. Exactly. So yeah. think about that. Your story is so powerful. It is in the same sentence with the blood of the lamb. Is that not amazing? It's so amazing. no wonder he doesn't want you to tell it. No wonder he wants you to live in shame and we get all worried about what other people are going to think about us. Listen, I most I, I can't think of, well, I, I shouldn't say that, but most of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, when someone tells their story that used to hold them back in shame, other people love them more. 
they love their vulnerability. They, they love that they are, are able to tell how God has brought them through. Now, there's going to always be big brother out there, like the prodigal son's big brother who, who might poo-poo on their story and think badly of them. But so what? I mean, Big Brother is invited to the party, too. It's his choice whether he wants to come or not, right? <laughs> right. But, but when you tell your story, God asked me, I, I felt him impressing this on me when, early on in my, my ministry um, when I was hesitant to tell a few things. And I felt the impression of God saying to me, would you rather people think well of you or think well of me? Oh, oh and I said, Lord, I want people to think well of you. That's what I'm living my life for now. And so that kind of did it for me. And, um, you know, I share, I share what I've gone through. Um, now I want to put a little caveat there and I've, I've never actually said this in an interview, but I feel like I need to say it today. Um, we should never have ministry at the expense of someone else. Yes. So yeah. as you're telling your story and you've got big people in your life that have hurt you, we need to be careful not to shame someone else in that story. Um, I, I tell my story about my family. They know it, that my mom, actually I made her write out a little approval thing one time, the first time it went in, in print. So just make sure that um, we don't have to tell every single detail, but you know enough to let people know, get the general idea of, of what was happening, but make sure not to, to shame those in your life as, as you're doing it. Okay, so I'm not letting you talk very much, Rachel, but um. <laughs> no, I, I'm, this is the point is to highlight you and your story to help us live out our stories. And so I'm so glad. Um, and I think you, you may have touched on this and I don't know if you want to expand on it, but in, in, your, in your book, you write that the worst parts of our past are the very things that God uses the most. And so do you have a, another example of, that you would want to share that, that helps you to come to that conclusion? Well, my parents' story is um, yeah. one that he has used the most. Um, the, the story of going through infertility and, and losing a child yeah. um, is huge. Um, those are probably two of, of the biggest. Yeah. Um, you know, I had my, my son who was now 37, but when he was in college, really struggled with depression in a huge way. Um, and that is another story that, that I, I tell with his permission. Um, and, and he uses that also to help other people at this point in his life. I um, you know, there's, um, we, we talked about Romans eight twenty eight, but there's another verse in second Corinthians. It says, God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can in turn comfort others with the comfort we have received from God. But that's kind of a, a twisty little verse, but basically what it's saying is God that, and that's those two words. So that, that are so, that are so important because mm -hmm. God doesn't comfort us necessarily to make us comfortable, but God comforts us so that we can use what we've gone through to comfort someone else. So um, he makes us comfort able is what I, I like to say. He makes us comfort able. And um, he will bring people across our paths who need to hear the story that we have to tell. And we will always have a choice. Am I going to keep it to myself or am I going to share it with that person? This doesn't need, mean you need to share it in a, a, in a large setting. It might just be one person that God wants you to share it with. And as we looked at those four steps, I gave you three, you know, the, the deciding you want to get well, forgiving those who've hurt you, um, forgiving yourself coming out of the shame place. But that fourth step is sharing your story. 
and as we mentioned before, those those different stages of grief and the, the last one of acceptance, well, resurrection happens for us as believers. And when we share our story with other people, that's where the resurrection comes in because then we are helping raise other people up because of what God has done for us. Yeah. That's such a beautiful cycle that I I want to be a part of, you know, to be a part of God's bigger story. And I think one of the reasons I admire you so much, Sharon, is your emphasis, as we've seen today, on sharing biblical truth. So is there an an example from the Bible that especially resonates with you when thinking about people who didn't like their story? Oh, my goodness. Let's talk about Joseph. He's one of my Mm -hmm. favorites. And um, I have a chapter in here called Meanwhile talking about God working behind the scenes. So we know the story of, of Joseph is this, um, he, he was really honestly a spoiled brat at first. So, <laughs> yeah, he, was. Yeah, he was his favorite son of his, his father's favorite wife. Now that's a whole other story. But because he was the favorite, you know, he made him the coat of many colors that like he wore all the time. It might as well have had favorite monogrammed on the back. Mm-hmm. It's like, be like me and you wearing a mink coat if we had one to the grocery store. I don't have one, but <laughs> I don't have you, one know, you know, we, we would be <laughs> like that. So, you know, he's the favorite and his, his, um, it's kind of a tattletale. He kind of told on his brothers from time to time. And, but God gave him these dreams that one day he was going to be a ruler and that his family was going to bow down to him. Well, in his immaturity, he told his brothers that. So God had a plan for him, but he did not keep it to himself, told the brothers, and it made them hate him even more. So we know that that was God's plan for him. We also know that God... Um, had some other ways to get him from point A to point B. Now his brothers were so angry that they sold him into slavery. His father sent him out to check on them at work in the fields. And I'm like, well, why wasn't he working in the fields? But no, favorites <laughs> back home. So he goes to check on his brothers. They see him coming. At first they were going to say that he'd been killed by a wild animal and throw him in a cistern, but they saw they could make some money. So a caravan's going by and they sell him into slavery and tell their dad that he has been killed by a wild animal. So as he's, can't you imagine being on that cart, being sold into slavery, thinking to yourself, this is not how the story is supposed to go. And this is not a good story. So he gets to Egypt and he is sold to Potiphar. He's living in, in Potiphar's home. And he must have been very handsome because Potiphar's wife kept hitting on him and wanting him to sleep with her. And he kept saying, no, no. And one day she grabbed him. He runs, but she's holding his clothes. And she says attempted rape. So Potiphar has no choice, whether he believed his wife or not. He had no choice but to throw him in prison. Now, again, don't you know he's saying, this is not how the story's supposed to go. I do not like this story. But it also tells us while he's in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. I'm like, goodness gracious, the Lord was with Joseph and this was what was happening to him. But what we need to see is that God is working in the meanwhile. God is working behind the scenes to get everyone where they need to be at just the right time. And you might be going through a situation right now and you were thinking, I do not like this story. God, where are you? What I'm living is not lining up with what scripture says. What I'm saying is not lining up with the promises of God, but I will promise you that God is always working in the meanwhile in ways that we cannot see and in ways we may never understand 
to get all the puzzle pieces together. Well, we know what happened next with, with Joseph is that there was a baker and a cupbearer that was in prison at the same time that the Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. And so they had dreams and Joseph did the power of the Holy Spirit, interpreted those dreams. One was going to hang, one was going to be set free. Now, and that's exactly what happened. But when the cupbearer got set free, he said, now, when you get out of here, don't forget me. Tell the Pharaoh about me. And I don't know that he screamed it, but I think I would. I do not like this story. I did not do anything wrong. <laughs> so anyway, the, the cupbearer gets out. And listen, Rachel, two more years pass. Two more years. And we think what we're going through um, in, our, in our struggles, and they might not be that long, they might be that long, but two years is a long time. Yeah. But it was a total of probably around 13 years of all this struggle that he's going through. But the, the Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can t interpret it, but the cupbearer goes, hey, I know a guy. <laughs> I met a guy in prison. How many times has someone said that? Hey, I know a guy. <laughs> right. And so they went and got him out, and he interpreted, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, interpreted the dream. And he was made second in command to the Pharaoh. Now, that is a great ending. But at any one of those places along the way, Joseph could have stopped and gotten stuck in that story and turned his back on God and not kept moving forward with the flow of God's pen. And we can do the same through every one of the steps of the bad, bad chapters in my life. I could have gotten stopped. I could have gotten stopped when that baby died and said, forget it. I'm not doing this any longer. And I could have stopped when my son had incredible struggles. Uh, when we got out of college, um, we moved to Charlotte because there was a, an incredible opportunity for us. We prayed about it for a year and fasted, and we knew this is where God wanted us. But when we moved here, the opportunity fell through. The, the man my husband was going to go work with, he, when Steve went in, he said, you know, I changed my mind, and I don't want a partner after all. And I was thinking, this is not a good story. And we could have stopped right there, but God had something better for us that we would have never imagined. So just know that God is always working behind the scenes. I love what Jesus told his disciples. He said, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. Mm -hmm. And that's from the New Living Testament. Actually, I'm going to look up that verse because somebody needs to write that down today. Well, and I, as you were talking, I was kind of thinking along the same lines, you know, so often what if, and I'm thinking of Hebrews even, what if we don't see the end of the story, the true end of the story? It doesn't always, we, we don't always see it come full circle. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. You know, so many times we do like, oh, this makes sense, God. I understand why I've gone through this, but what if it's not until heaven someday? And it might not be. I mean, it really might not, but we have to trust that a good outcome is going to come from it. Yeah. Um, but that verse is John 13, 7 from the New Living Testament. Jesus said, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Mm -hmm. And that someday, as you say, may be on, on the other side yeah. of heaven. And, and when you know Joseph's brothers came and um, approached, of course, he revealed himself that he was their brother when they came looking for food. And he said, you know, you sold me, but God sent me. So he looked at it from God's perspective. And that's another thing that I go into depth in, in the, in the book is that making sure that we are interpreting our stories, looking at our stories through the right lens. Yeah. You know, when you go to the eye doctor and they put one lens down, you've got that chart on the wall and they put a lens down, 
which helps you see these letters more clearly, lens one or lens two, lens three or lens four, and you tell them what helps you see it the best, we need to make sure that we're looking through the right lens to interpret our stories. And Joseph did. He said, you sold me, God sent me. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, the saving of many lives. So make sure that we're looking at our stories through the sovereignty and love of God rather than the selfishness of, for me, selfishness of Sharon. Mm, yeah. And I'm just thinking his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And, um, and, and the only way we can really do that is being in the word, filling ourselves up with, with him constantly. You know, you, you talked about a little bit earlier in the very beginning about, you know, there's, there's probably two women listening here and maybe a mix of them. You know, sometimes we don't like our story because of what happened other people's choices. And then there's sometimes that we don't like our story because of the choices that we have made. And so I'd love for you to kind of talk about that with the forgiveness of, I guess you already kind of mentioned that. Do you have anything else to say on that? The forgiveness of other people and then breaking free from the shame that she maybe is feeling. Uh, Well, I think it's really understanding that when we say, I can't, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, that is, you're holding yourself to a higher standard than God's. And just remember that is the devil, it is the enemy who wants you to stay in that shame place. And when he comes back and reminds you, yeah, but you had that abortion, you know, you did this and you did that. What we need to say is we tell him, no, God has already forgiven me for that. And I'm going to walk in the freedom of it. And I promise you, once you turn around, you accept that forgiveness and you help someone else with their own struggle and help them understand the forgiveness of God, you will leave that shame place. That doesn't mean that you will never hurt because of the decision that you have made. Um, That pain probably will never go away. And, you know, I'm so glad that that doesn't the mistakes that I've made, the pain of that never truly goes away, because if it did, I might do it again. Mm, it's like the forgiving and forgetting kind of concept you know like you know i'm trying to say there yeah yeah and the forgetting part you know that that's a whole nother program too and i just wrote a a devotion about what it means to forget in the bible and that means you're no longer going to act on it i mean we don't have a delete button that we can push and make that memory go away it's not going to go away Mm -hmm. but forgetting and when paul said i am forgetting what lies behind um, that's a deliberate act to um, not not to act on that any longer. Mm-hmm. So it would be like saying, I am not going to be ashamed any longer. I am not going to be angry and bitter about what that person did any longer. I am forgetting, not that it's going to go away, not that the memory of it's going to go away. And I can tell you, Rachel, the more I have told my story, the less it has bothered me. Which the is less, interesting. Yeah. Yes, Cause you're bringing le- it to mind. Yeah. Yes. And, but the less it has, it has, I mean, I still think about what happened as a child and listen, I didn't tell much of it at all, but you got the picture, mm-hmm. but the, the more I told it when I first started telling it, the, the less the pain was there. Mm-hmm. So there's something very healing about using what you've gone through to help other people. Yeah. And maybe that's what he meant about the forget what's behind, but then press on, 
you know, move forward with that. Yeah. Uh, and let me tell you one thing you just said there. He said, he said, I am forgetting what lies behind. He didn't say I forgot what lies behind. And, <laughs> That's I, good. Yeah, and I am so glad because you don't, it's not a one-time thing. Mm, it's not that we yeah. forget it and we never think about it again. He said, I am forgetting, which is a present tense verb. So that means like, I forget today, but you know what? I might have to forget it again tomorrow <sighs> because there are triggers that are going to bring things up and we have continually put it behind us. And don't you love that David talked to himself? He said, <laughs> yeah. he, said um, he talked to his soul all the time. Go and look in Psalms and he'll say, um, but remember my soul, you know, and so what's he doing? He's talking to himself. So we need to talk to ourselves to help us continually to put things behind us. Yeah. It's a process. Okay. So everybody loves a good secret. And in the book, you share the secret to living a better story. And so can you let us in on the, on the secret? What is it? Well, I have just told you the secret. The you four know, steps. Those four steps. Are the <laughs> okay. um, and the secret is, is turning it around and using it for good. And mm. once you, once you turn it around and use it for good, like we've talked about with Romans eight twenty eight, we talked about it with the Revelation twelve eleven, mm. we talked about in the Second Corinthians verse mm. in chapter one, verse three. You know, once you turn it around and you use it for good, that changes the ending of your story mm. because see, it didn't stop when that event happened, or when yeah. you made that choice, but it continued because now it's a a story of redemption. Mm-hmm. And resurrection and yeah. resurrection. So yeah. you have a different story because you've continued your, you are now healed up of the pain, even though you're still going to have some phantom pain from it. Mm. And now you're using it for good. And that changes the ending of your story. Mm. And that's the victory. Well, so this season I'm asking all of my guests how we can be love offerings. So how do you think we can be love offerings to others that may be having a hard time loving their story? Well, I suggest that they get take a step back and look at what the chapters are that they don't like. Actually, Rachel, I'm offering a, a, a free online Bible study right now for when you don't like your story. It starts February the 15th. Um, you do need the book, but the, the Bible study is free. There are videos that come along with it. They get a weekly email and then a video uh, that's been produced um, that they get access, as, access to um, for free. Um, And I think going through that process and, you know, going through the steps with a group of women um, and, you know, hearing the extra teaching from the videos will help someone get from that point A to point B so that they can have a better story. And if you just go to SharonJanes.com, which will probably be in the show notes, um, the invitation to join that pops up right on the first page. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you so much for sharing your sharing your story today, Sharon. (laughs) I just now hit me as I was saying that, my little country twang. (laughs) But I know that we all have parts of our stories that we wish we could tear out, but I just appreciate you giving us the wisdom and insight on how God may use them for good and maybe even one day be some of our greatest and favorite chapters. God bless you, Sharon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rachel.
Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Sharon James. We hope now that you understand what to do when you don't like your story. This week, our love offering is to tell your story to someone. We all have a testimony of God's goodness within our hurts and how he has given us hope and how he has helped us to heal. And so by telling your story, we hope that the same thing happens for those people who have been hurt to just help them heal and give them hope. If you're interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also connect with me now over on Pinterest. Just search for the love offering with Rachel Adams. I'd love to connect with you even deeper over on the love offering community over on Facebook. There each week, we just dive in deeper to each podcast episode, the blog series, and uh, just encourage each other to live fully and love faithfully. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that just so more women can find this Love Offering message. You can also go to my website and find some really great resources. I've got the 30-day love offering calendar, a devotional, and some other free downloadable resources. You can also subscribe to receive my weekly love offering newsletter. Again, you just go to rachelkadams.com and you can find all that information there. Next week, my guest is Meredith Carr. Meredith is discussing marriage and motherhood and how loving can be hard. So I can't wait for you to tune in then. But until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, remember to lead with love.